0: I open to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We continue our series entitled Rooted and Grounded. Rooted in the love of Christ, grounded for the Christian faith. Today I want to speak on the message before Christ and after Christ. Today you may be here and you may know Christ and you may have had a relationship with him for years. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Christ and you don't have a relationship with God through the person, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This message is for all of us today. Those of us who are with Christ, those who, uh, well, us are far away from Him. And so today, I pray that all of us will come in and heed the word that God would have to say to us today. With Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, will you please stand in the honor of reading God's word? Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thus killing the flesh was the point. And he, verse 17, came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, I ask that you will open our hearts and minds, open all of our hearts and all of our minds, so that we may hear the word that you would have us to hear today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Please be seated. Two simple points today, two simple points only. Number one, the first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is our distance from Christ. Our distance from Christ. For those of us who don't know Jesus or when we were once living apart from Christ, we were distanced. The the Bible says here uh, in verse 13 and following, we were far away from Christ. We were distanced from Him. Uh, Paul says in verse 12, we were separated from Christ. Now, let's talk about what it means to be separated from God. What does it mean to be separated from Jesus Christ? Imagine life without Jesus. You know, the Bible teaches that there's only two types of relationships you can have with God. Either you have a close relationship with him or you have no relationship with him at all. Either you have one or you don't. It's white or black in God's economy. You see, God says you're either a wheat or a tear. You're a sheep or you're a goat. You're either lost or you're saved. And there's no ands, ifs, or buts. There's no gray area. There's only two possible relationships. So my challenge for all of us today is that we need to examine our own hearts. Are you in Christ? Or are you without Christ? Are you near to God? Or are you far away from Him? The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians has been rehearsing the great blessings that's found in Jesus Christ. Remember a few weeks ago when we began this, this series of messages, I, I challenged all of us to take our copy of God's Word and, and to go through the book of Ephesians and circle or underline every time we found that prepositional phrase, in Christ or in Him or in Jesus. You see, it's found over and over and over again through the book of Ephesians. It says, in Christ we have redemption. In Christ we have been elevated. In Christ we have been forgiven. In Christ we are secure. In Christ we have eternal life. You see, all of these things we find in Jesus, and Paul brings them out through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Now, every now and again, I'll hear someone say, well, there's just so much I have to give up in order to become a Christian. I got to stop this, I got to stop this, and I got to stop that. And surely there are some things that, that you give up in order to become a Christian. But listen, you gain so much more than what you give up. You gain the blessings of God. You, you receive His, his, his uh, blessings, His love, His mercy. You see, without Jesus, we're empty. You may have all the possessions of the world today. You can have many things, but if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're lost. You're missing life's most important possession. Jesus said it well. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but yet he lost his own soul? So life without Jesus is like trying to sing a song with no melody. Life without Jesus is like a vast ocean with no water. Life without Jesus is like existence with no life. Paul tells us how sad, how lonely, how despicable this life without Jesus was. Now for many of us, we've been saved for many years and we forget what it's like to be lost. Perhaps you're here today and, and you are lost and what I'm about to describe is your life. You're about to say, you know what, that sounds a whole lot like my life. But Paul brings out three things about the person who is lost. Number one, he says you're homeless. You say, well, I'm not homeless, I've got a, a physical address. That's not what he's talking about. Verse 12, he says that we were aliens, not talking about little green Martian guys from Mars here. We're talking about someone who has no home, someone who has no foundation. He said, you're aliens, you're strangers from the covenant of promise. You're homeless. You weren't born as a part of the family of God. You're estranged to the family of God. You see, God has developed a a, a special relationship with a group of people called the Jews. God called out the Jews when he called and separated Abraham for his purpose and for his work. He set the Jewish nation aside to be a channel of blessing to the world. He chose to use the Jewish nation, the, 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 the nation of Israel, as his blessing for the world. It was the Jews who gave us our Bible. It was the Jews who gave us our Savior. Guys, you understand that Jesus was not a white guy with blue eyes and blonde hair, right? Jesus was a Jew. He had dark skin, he had dark hair, he had dark eyes, he was a Jew. It was the Jews that gave us the Bible, it was the Jews that gave us our Savior. And the Jews have been, are, and always will be God's chosen people. Before Christ, we were homeless. As Gentiles, we were not privy to the privileges and the blessings that God bestowed upon the Jewish people. Now might I add, since the cross... Since the resurrection, there are many Jews that are homeless now, many Jews that while God is still has his hand on the Jewish nation, while God blesses Israel, and like I said a few weeks ago, the foreign policy of any country, the best foreign policy a country can have is to be allies with Israel. For you see, the Bible says, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. How many Babylonians have you seen walking down the street lately? How many Philistines have you seen walking down the street? Midianites, any of them? No. Why is that? Because those that curse Israel are cursed by God. But those who bless Israel are blessed by God. And so in God's economy, God has chosen to bless this race, the, the, the Jewish nation. And He's chosen to place His hand. But so many of the Jews have become homeless. Why? Because through the cross, through the resurrection, God has brought, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, He has made those of us homeless. He has, gave, he has given us a home In Jesus Christ. He has, as Jesus said, grafted us in. The olive branch has been grafted into the tree. And so he has brought the Gentiles in. But when we were lost, apart from Christ, he says that we were homeless. Not only were we homeless, but we were also hopeless. Look at verse 12. Having no hope. Having no hope. Now you can live with almost, you can live without almost anything except for hope. You can live your life with no friends and still live life. You can live your life with no family and still have life. But you cannot live life with no hope. Have you ever noticed the hopelessness that the world offers? The world has a lot of answers, but they don't provide hope, do they? The world seems to give a lot of answers to the questions that we ask. But, but everything that, that they say to do this or to do this, everything we try to do, it, it, it nullifies and it causes us to, to see there is no hope. We, we can't find hope. A French philosopher once said very recently, there is no exit from the human dilemma. There is no exit from the human dilemma. This is the utter pessimism and, and hopelessness of our day. Some college students, I found some college students who were asked to define life, asked to describe their life, and here's what they said. Life, one young man said, is like a joke that isn't even funny. One young lady said, life is a prison sentence for the crime of being born. There's a great despair in our world today. Those that are far away from Christ, those that have been distanced from Christ, there is a hopelessness. A hopelessness hopelessness is more than helplessness helplessness you can find help for hopelessness it gets revolved around remember what hope is hope is the confident expectation of the coming tomorrow the expectation that that god is going to do something grand that god is going to do something awesome it's the confident of the future you say well i know a lot of lost people preacher who 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 are confident and have a confident expectation of their future so Do they have hope? Without Christ, there is no hope. You see, that's not hope. That's wishful thinking, what they have. A person who does not have Christ in their life has no hope for the future. You see, their hope must be based upon Jesus Christ to have the future that God promised. That's why we say, you you can be the most confident person in the world, but if you don't know Jesus, you're hopeless. You're hopeless. Paul's point is, you can be happy. You can seem to have everything together. You can be successful in the eyes of the world, but still have no hope. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel that despair, that hopelessness, that void that's in your heart, that that void that when the preacher gets up and preaches against sin, you, there's just a pit in your stomach, and you you know there's something not right with your life, and you've tried to fill that with what the world has said to fill it with. Whether it's through sexual relations, whether it's through drugs, whether it's through alcohol, whether it's through just being busy, whether it's from being successful, you've tried to fill this void with with something. Maybe, Maybe your shtick is trying to be funny and you just try to laugh everything off. But listen, there is a seriousness to life. There's a seriousness to what we're talking about. And you can't just laugh your way through life and understand you have this great deep void in your heart. God created us in His image. He created us with this hole that only He can fill. Paul said, not only were we homeless, not only were we hopeless, but He said in verse 12, we were also godless without God. Now in the Gentile world, in the, in the the city of Ephesus, there were many gods. There were many gods. They, they were polytheists. They, they had a God for everything. They were kind of like the Hindus of today. They worshipped all kinds of deities. They had a god for this and a god for that. But what Paul is saying here is that you're without the one true God. You're without the one true God. The Bible says that people have made idols in the heart, and you say, "Well, I don't have I don't have all of these idols. I don't bow down to Buddha. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know many people that do that." But listen, those of us who are lost, the Bible says that we are godless and we have erected idols in our heart. We made it, we can make an idol out of our our child. We can make an idol out of our spouse. We can make an idol out of a celebrity. We can make an idol out of money. We can make an idol out of wealth. We can make an idol out of fame. We can make, we can construct an idol. It doesn't have to be a physical idol. The Bible talks about the idols that we construct and erect in our own heart. And we worship them. We bow down to them. We, we listen to them. And, and our whole motivation of life is to, is to please that idol that we have created in our heart and in our mind. Worshipping things. Worshipping the create the, the, the creature and not the created. Or not the creator. Without God. Now I know there are some people who say there is no God. I like the, what the one man said. He said, you know, there are no atheists in hell. <laughs> that will sink in. You'll get in just a minute. Every person is born with a homing device. You see... You have to teach people to be an atheist. When children are born, they are born with the capacity to to know there is something out there. We are conditioned. We are created in the image of God, and we know that there is something else greater than us. Just look around at the world around you. Can you not see that, that everything that God created, the order that He has put in this world, this could not just happen? Have you heard that they are now saying that the, 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 the Big Bang Theory, that scientists are actually having to go back and say, wait a minute, that's not right? That, that there has to have been something that caused it? Finally, they're listening to us. perfect world one foot closer to the sun we would burn think about this the size of the earth one foot closer to the sun we were one foot further away from the sun we would freeze exact place where it needs to be look at the human body the eyes, the nose the, the taste God has created us and, and if you cannot see it you need to wake up those who are without Christ. The Bible says you're godless. A generation ago, the Americans and the Russians, they were battling, trying to see who the first person could get to space and land on the moon was. Well, you know the story. We won. We always win, don't we? We won. But the Russians, they got to space first, and the astronauts, they got up to space and they they went up a few miles. And of course, Russia at the time was communist Russia. They they were atheist Russia. They were away from God. Those astronauts went up into space and they were only in in outer space a few miles, and they had to turn around and come back. When they landed, they they the, the Russian astronauts got out of their 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 little uh, uh, spaceship and they said, "We we searched the heavens and there is no God." I would have encouraged them to open the hatch of their spaceship while they're in space and take off their helmet and then they would have met God. (laughs) Godless. We live in a godless country. We live in a godless country. Just last night, I read on an article on Fox News. Somebody forwarded to me. I, I read it and... The article reads, one of the nation's largest public school systems is preparing to include gender identity to its classroom curriculum, including lessons on sexual fluidity and spectrum. That's the idea that there's no such thing as a 100% boy or 100% girl. Fairfax Public Schools released a report recommending changes to their family life curriculum for grade 7 through grade 12. The changes which critics call radical gender ideology will be formally introduced next week. I, I cannot wrap my mind around that. I, 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 I can understand some things that the world is doing, but I, 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 I cannot understand this, how backwards, how confused the world is. I mean, guys, it, it's not hard to tell a boy from a girl. You A boy is a boy, a girl is a girl, but how confused our world has gotten that now it says we don't know who a boy is and, and who a girl. Guys, this is not rocket science, right? We laugh, but understand how serious this is. Peter Sprigg, he 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 wrote, uh, he was part of the family council, he, he wrote in this article that I read on Fox News, he said, this is an attack, he hit the nail on the head this is not an attack. This is not an attack on, on, on the country. This is an attack, he says, this is an attack, I quote, on the created order of things. And that's so true. What we're seeing is a godless, godless country, the godless world system that is trying to do anything they can against what God created. What God said was good, what God said was pure, the world has always tried to go against that, haven't they? Think about it. God said marriage between one man and one woman, period. What's the world trying to do? Go back to the very beginning in Genesis. God placed this world. He, in this world, certain laws, a certain order. From the very beginning, man has rebelled. He said, don't eat this fruit in the center of the garden. And what did man do? He ate it. He rebelled. God said, "Don't do this," and and the world system, Satan. Remember the three enemies that we saw over in Ephesians chapter uh, earlier in Ephesians chapter two: the world, Satan, and the flesh. That's the three enemies that we fight against. God said, "Don't do this," and we went and did it. We rebelled against God. He said, "Don't create any idols." What did they do right after they 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 had the Passover? They literally saw the Red Sea parted. They literally saw the firstborn son of every Egyptian family die. They saw the, 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 the Nile River turn to blood. They saw all of these things. And as soon as they crossed over, as soon as they passed through the Red Sea, what did they do when Moses climbed up on the mountain? God said, don't create any idols. And what did they do? They took the gold that they took from Egypt and they fashioned an idol and they put it up and began to worship it. That's the human system. That's the godlessness of, of, of the world system. And students, I feel for you the most. I really do. Because you're being told that all of this stuff is legit. You're told in school that you should be accepting of all of this, that, 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 that you hear it from your friends, you see it on TV. And listen, hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that you rebuke a person. You rebuke the sin. I'm not saying that you hate a person because of their beliefs. No, we don't hate people. We hate the sin. We love the person. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Didn't Jesus hang out with the sinners? Didn't Jesus do whatever it took to bring the sinners into the fold? You see, it's not that we hate the sinner. We hate the sin. We despise the sin, but we love the sinner to Christ. We love the sinner to faith in Jesus. Jesus. But the world is going to teach you, students, especially those who just graduated. The world is going to teach you, and they're going to challenge you on every conviction that you hold. The world system is going to impose itself and try to, uh, to, try to turn your mind. You need to stand strong. You need to stand strong. Don't back down. The godless world is at war with God. As I said a few weeks ago, what we're facing in our country right now is a fundamental dismantling of our foundation, of our history as a Christian nation. Satan will not stop until Jesus returns. Satan is not going to let up. Satan's foot is on the gas pedal, and he's going 90 miles an hour. And I look around, and I see the church just cruising at a cool 25. And that's frustrating. That, that's hard to see. As the world is, is on a highway to hell, I look over and the church, the church that's supposed to be the lighthouse, the church that has the answer, we're sitting here worried about political correctness. We're sitting here worried about whether we're going to offend somebody. We're worried about whether we're going to lose our tax-exempt status. We're worried about all of this stuff that doesn't even matter while the whole world is lost, dying, and going to hell. The Bible says that they were godless. It shouldn't surprise us. You know how many generations it took from Adam to Noah? Ten generations. Ten generations. Think about Adam. Adam walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. They had a relationship with God that no other human being had at that point. They walked with God. They talked with God. And and from that generation of Adam all the way to Noah, what what was the world like with Noah? The Bible says that God searched the whole world and he found only one family, only one family that trusted and believed in him, the family of Noah. Ten generations. Only ten generations. Let me put this in perspective for us. Now, of course, back then, people lived longer before the flood. But do you know how many generations has occurred in our lifetime? Or Well, there's only been one generation since our lifetime, but how many generations that have occurred since 1776 when our country was founded? Ten generations. It should not surprise us that a, in 1776, in the late 18th century, this country was founded upon God's Word. Preachers were preaching from the White House. Preachers were, were going through the, the highways and the byways and, and people followed God. And today we, we look and they're trying to scratch out every inkling of Jesus from everything we say in the public sector. Ten generations to forget the founding of this country. Someone said to me the other day, can, I don't think we're ever going to get this country back. They said it's too far gone. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that. I don't think we're too far gone. If, if, as I said in the first hour, if we thought that we were too far gone, we just need to move to another country. But you see, I believe this is worth fighting for. I I believe this is worth standing up and saying, wait a minute, this, this is for, for my children, for my grandchildren. For the sake of the coming generations, this is worth fighting for. To stand upon God's Word. You know, we don't have much longer to see things turned around. Jesus is coming back and He's coming back soon. But I do know this. That in, it's when everything looks bleak. When everything looks like it's done. When You're ready to throw in the towel. That's when God shows up. That's when God moves. How easily we have forgotten the second great awakening. You see, our country has gone through series like this before. Our country was in need of a savior just a few years ago in the second great awakening. And God saw that in this country, the country, they were having to build more jails. They they were packing out the jails. In some cities, there were more people in prison. There were walking on the streets. Our country, just a hundred or so years ago, a little over a hundred years ago, Second Great Awakening, it began with one man. His last name was Latimer. He was in New York City, of all places, New York City. He started praying. One man began to pray that God would bring revival. That one-man prayer group, Turned into ten men praying. That ten man prayer group turned into a hundred, then a hundred to a thousand, a thousand to ten thousand. Before you know it, revival began to sweep across this country. God got into the souls and the hearts of the churches. Churches that were dead and dying. Churches that were, were not even preaching the gospel. Churches that you would come in on a Sunday morning, they wouldn't even bring a Bible and speak from the Bible. Now, preachers are getting saved. Deacons were getting saved. There's a novel idea. The, 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 the congregation starts getting saved. And God turned what looked like a a, a a bad situation. He turned it around. He turned it around. Whenever God is brought into a problem, the odds just got stacked in His favor. I have seen marriages that were on their way to divorce. Well, I've seen I've seen two couples, two couples who went on to get divorced. they, they got a divorce. Two separate couples got a divorce. Neither one of the parties were saved. Of the four people involved, not one of them were saved. I've seen this on two separate occasions where they wind up getting saved and then they get married again. When God is brought into the equation, the odds are stacked in His favor. I have sat in doctor's offices. I've sat in doctor's offices with some of you. And the doctor has come in and said, there is no hope. The cancer is, is is too great. It's too consuming. And we begin to pray. We bring God into the equation. And the cancer somehow stops. Science is dumbfounded. The doctors don't know what's going on. The person is, is made well. The person is healed. God plus anything is a majority. And as long as I have breath in my lungs... I want to preach and proclaim the only thing that is going to change this country, and that is Jesus saves. That's what's going to save this country. That's the only answer. There was one time we were distanced from Christ. We were lost. We were homeless. We were hopeless. We were godless. But then... He was saved. Here is this conjunction, but God, and you see it in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, we see our deliverance in Christ, but now he doesn't want to leave us homeless. He doesn't want to leave us hopeless. He doesn't want to leave us godless. And so what he does is when we come to know Christ, he reinstates what Satan stole from us. We said that we were homeless because of, of what uh, our living in the flesh, we were homeless. Now look at verse 13. We have a home. Our home is through Jesus Christ. He brought us near through the blood of Christ. Our home is through the blood of Jesus. Now I want you to see the impact of the message today. We were enemies. We were outcasts. We were adversaries with God. We excluded ourselves. We were out there in the right field somewhere outside of his home, outside of his house. But God came near. He called us. We received him by faith, and he brought us into his home. He grafted us into the branch. And so now we're, fam- we're members of the family of God. The Scripture tells us that he put us as a house, He, he as a family. He placed us in the temple. Christ is the cornerstone, verse 20, Ephesians 2.20. This means that we are built together brick by brick. Man by man, we're not a solo island, but as a church, as a body, he's built us together, Jesus being the cornerstone, Jesus being central. He's built everything on top of that into the household of faith. Every time a person comes to faith, every time a little boy, a little girl, every time an adult is saved, every person that's adding a brick to this tabernacle of the Holy One. And I cannot wrap my mind around this next statement. I really can't but there is coming a day when the last person will be saved. There's coming a day, think about that. There's a, coming a day when the last person bows their head, bows their heart, and by faith receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there's going to be a day when the last person does that and God in heaven is going to say, All right, Michael, sound that trumpet. I'm calling them home. Verses 19 through 22, it talks about building a home. Verse 19, we don't have time to dissect all of this, but verse 19 tells us that as believers, we're never alone. That when you're walking through life, Christ is with you. You're never walking by yourself. Verse Again, verse 19 also tells us that as believers, we're members of the family of God. Verse 20 tells us that we must center our lives on Jesus. Verse 21 tells us that if we're going to grow in our Christian walk and our Christian faith, it, to, to build this home, we have to have a close walk with Jesus. Again, a novel idea. So many Christians, they think that they're just going to sit their life in cruise control and they're just going to cruise and get by and they, they hold their salvation as a get out of hell free card. And God said, I, I saved you for so much more than that. I want you to have a close walk. I I want to work with you. That's what verse twenty-one and twenty-two is all about. He's given us a home, and we are to grow in this home. But He's also given us a hope, where He's where where we were homeless and hopeless. Now He's given us a home, and He's given us a hope. Verse fourteen. He broke down the middle wall of partition. You see that there, Ephesians chapter two, verse fourteen. He broke down the middle wall of partition. You know what that means. There was an actual wall in the temple. It was a middle partition wall in the temple. This is what Paul is referring to. It separated the court of the Jews from the court of the Gentiles. There was a wall there, a retaining wall, and there was a sign on that wall that read, no foreigner shall enter beyond the point by penalty of death. Meaning that we as Gentiles, if we lived in that day, we could go in the court of the Gentiles. But if we passed by that middle wall where the Jews were, we would be penalized by death. We would be killed. Archaeologists have discovered the inscription on a portion of this wall several years ago. Paul is saying here that, the, that that inscription on that wall that, that kept people out of the presence of God, kept the, the, the Gentiles out, kept the foreigners, the strangers out, that middle wall has been torn down and now we have hope. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. You see, our hope, we are as Gentiles have been grafted in. Our hope is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. There is, for God, there is no Jew or Gentile. This is no longer a Jewish religion or a Gentile religion. This relationship that God offers is no longer a Jewish thing. Listen, it's, no lo- it's, it's not a white man thing. It's not a black man thing. It's not an English thing or a Spanish thing. No, this hope is for all. This hope can be accepted by anyone and everyone. And Jesus destroys those things that we set up to divide, doesn't he? Isn't that how God works? You see, that's why there's no room for racism in a church. That's why there's no room to build and construct walls in the middle to separate. Here's a group over here and there's a group over here. That's why I love this church so much. I love you, Aloma, because you are colorblind. You don't see nationalities. You don't, you, you want whoever will may come. And I love that about you. But you see so many churches have built up walls and Jesus is in the business of knocking walls down. And he knocks down those walls. He knocks down those those fences, uh, not only in churches, but also in marriages. Marriages that walls have been erected between husbands and wives. Walls of bitterness. Walls, fences of fear. Through the cross of Jesus, if you'll let him in your marriage, he will tear those walls down. He takes away the anger, the bitterness, the hostility. Those things that divide us. Jesus is the man of hope. Not only has he given us a home and a hope, but he's also given us a God. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, the river of redemption. The blood of Jesus, according to verse 16, is a reconciling blood. You know what it means to be reconciled? When we say a marriage has been reconciled, what are we saying? That a marriage now has peace. When you say you've reconciled your bank account, that means you've brought peace to your bank account. So here in verse 16, he says we've been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. That means that we now have peace with God. We now have peace with God. One of my prize books that I have in my library, I have thousands of books, and and I've read a lot of them, but one of my prize books, apart from God's Word, is a book that's a first edition book written by Billy Graham entitled Peace with God, one of the first books he ever wrote, signed by Billy Graham. And I've read this book cover to cover multiple times, and I understand and I know that there are people out in the world, there are people right now in the sound of my voice in this room and watching by the internet around the world. And you're searching for peace. You're wanting peace. You're wanting something real. You want to sink, you're, you're, you're tired of fake, you're tired of phony. You want something that's real. You want something that lasts. You want something that once you go and you taste of this water, you don't thirst again. Well, guess what? I'm offering it to you right now. Jesus said, come and drink from me. And what I give you, the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Come to Jesus. I don't know how else to to challenge you, to beg you. Come to Jesus. You say, well, I have to get my life right. I have to get all these things in in place before I, I get saved. No, you don't. That's the glory and the majesty and the beauty of salvation. You come just as you are. And God takes you, takes your broken pieces like a jigsaw puzzle that's just thrown and scattered out on the ground. That's your life. It makes no sense. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. There's no There's nothing there, but there's beauty in there. You just have to find the artist to do it. He created you. He knows you. He created you with a great purpose in mind. And all you have to do is bring your pieces, your broken pieces and say, God, here I am. And he will take it and he will create a beautiful canvas, a beautiful work of art out of your life.